There's no more powerful health influencer than a midlife woman, Deborah Atkinson. So the big question is, how do women over 40 like us keep weight off, have great energy, balance our hormones and our moods, feel sexy and confident and master midlife? If you're like most of us, you're not getting the answers you need and remain confused and pretty hopeless to ever feel like yourself again. As an OBGYN, I had to discover for myself the truth about what creates a rock solid metabolism, lasting weight loss and supercharged energy after 40 in order to lose 100 pounds and fix my fatigue. Now I'm on a mission. This podcast is designed to share the natural tools you need for impactful results and to give you clarity on the answers to your midlife metabolism challenges. Join me for tangible natural strategies to crush the hormone imbalances you're facing and help you get unstuck from the sidelines of life. My name is Dr. Kieran Dunstan. Welcome to the Hormone Prescription Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Hormone Prescription with Dr. Kieran. I'm excited to share my guest today with you. She's amazing. Some of you know her and love her already. And those of you who don't are about to get acquainted and fall in love with her. (laughs) She is going to help you learn how to flip 50 with exercise. She helps women to hormone balance through exercise and many other modalities. She has an incredible skill set and lots of experience. I'm going to tell you a little bit about her and then we will get started. Wellness coach, hormone balancing fitness expert, and flipping 50 founder Deborah Atkinson has helped over 250,000 women flip their second half with the vitality and energy they want. She's the best-selling author of You Still Got It, Girl, the After 50 Fitness Formula for Women. Navigating Fitness After 50, your GPS for choosing programs and professionals you can trust, and Hot Not Bothered. Deborah hosts Flipping 50 TV and the Flipping 50 podcast, an AARP top podcast for 50 plus. She is a frequent speaker at TEDx present and TEDx presenter, excuse me, of everything women in menopause learned about exercise may be a lie. She has 38 years full-time fitness experience. She's an international fitness presenter for associations, including International Council on Active Aging, a lot of alphabet soup fitness agencies you may or may not be familiar with, IDEA, NSCA, and Athletic Business, and CanFit Pro. She's an American Council on Exercise subject matter expert and prior senior lecturer in kinesiology at Iowa State University. She's also the founder of Flipping50.com and creator of the Flipping50 Fitness Specialist Program for fitness professionals. She's a frequent contributor at HuffPost, Share Care, and other featured outlets, and on the Education Advisory Board for MedFit.org. Welcome, Deborah. Thank you so much. That was awesome. You have so much endurance. You got through all that. <laughs> well, you have so Thank much you. experience, and you've contributed so much for women over 50. And I didn't want to leave anything out, frankly. I usually edit my guests' bios. I was like, this is all too important. Everybody needs to know oh. all the badass shit she's done. So <laughs> thank you so much. Thank you. So welcome. You have a new program coming up that I'm really excited about. We won't start there. Everybody has to stay tuned to hear more about it. But let's just get started with why do you this quote? I love this quote. There's no more powerful health influencer than a midlife woman. I agree, but I want to know your take on mm. that. Why do you say that? 
Well, literally, I mean, every marketer who focuses on some kind of product that a midlife woman is going to buy knows this. I mean, we influence 85 or over 85 now, I think the stat is, of purchases in the household. And that, I think we can say, spills over to habits as well. So, I mean, your family sees you committing to exercise on a regular basis. That rubs off, you know, so much better than saying, eat your vegetables is them watching you love yours, right? I mean, what they will do is really very dependent on what you're doing, the outcome you're having, and whether they want that for themselves or not. So if you're showing this is good for me, this is better for me, I'm talking about it, I'm not just telling you to do it, I'm doing it, and here are the results, and it's making a positive impact. Or even talking about, so anybody who's started exercise, two questions I ask if I take the stage somewhere are, how many of you have started an exercise program? And I say, leave your hands up. How many of you have also stopped an exercise program? Zero hands go down. I mean, we've all been there, right? I mean, it's like the whole room is like, I want to see you after class. But the truth is, I mean, that happens. That happens to me, you know, in four decades of committing to this, not only myself, but teaching it. We still have those disruptors that happen. Amen, right? Steve, and he believes that's true. And you know, I think it's so very important that we get that message across and it's necessary that we take care of ourselves because Karen, you know, probably you hear it too. It's, it's hard for women to put themselves first. You know, we've, we've given and driven and done the minivan and, and helped others. And we, we didn't go to the bathroom when we had to go to the bathroom. We don't even sometimes know how to listen to our own bodies anymore because we've ignored them for a while. And so if that's the case, if you struggle with that being what you might perceive as selfish, if you can see that you have a ripple effect, it's either positive or negative. There's no neutral. It's either having a good or a bad influence on someone else. I think it changes the game for us. So first to motivate women, because then they're going to age better themselves that alone could change healthcare, healthcare costs. But if they can then influence three generations that they do, young adult kids, or maybe it's nieces and nephews in your in your world, your parents and your in-laws, and of course your best friends. I mean, who do you ask about who's your OBGYN? Where do you go? Where do you get your advice? Where do you get the dentist? We influence so many people without even really realizing that. It is so true, Deborah. Uh, just a few comments on what you shared about women making being the decision makers, particularly about healthcare, but also spending in the family. Mm-hmm. I, I read an article recently about what they call femtech that looks at expenditures for new technology geared towards women. And even though we are the major purchasers and decision makers, very little is actually spent geared towards us. So I love that you've, you're creating programs specifically mm-hmm. for women, right? So that yeah. is a much needed niche that you are filling. And what, you know, I do this very organically. I'm always thinking, what would people want to know? And I think sometimes it's very basic. Like you just said, you ask people to raise their hand. How many of you have started an exercise program? Hands up. How many of you have stopped? Hands up, myself included. Mm-hmm. How do we get ourselves 
motivated to start again when in our head the mind chatter is, but I did that before and I quit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So is that going to happen again? And Mm-hmm. I think that's so important because if we don't start, we can't reap the benefits. So how does a woman get mm-hmm. past? I need to take care of everybody else. And I need mm-hmm. to, how do I carve out the time and commit to this thing that I failed at before? Well, you know, I could toss out some cliche phrase of, you know, you can't pour from an empty cup, right? Which, which is true, but how far does that go to helping you change? But I will say that I think, first of all, we've got to cut ourselves a little slack because I think we think I did that before and I failed. And I think we forget that all of the greats, anybody that you think about in history who did something great failed many, many, many times. And that may have been the one success that we remember in history. But prior to that, no one ever heard of them. Everybody ridiculed them and they failed a lot. So thinking about that, but here's the truth in health change and the way it happens. It's, you know, we'd all love for it to be like going upstairs. We just kind of go up and then we go to the next step and we go to the next step and go to the next step. And that just ain't going to happen, sister. So the way it works is it's cyclical. We tend to kind of circle around like spiral and eventually we're getting closer to the middle, but it takes on average about seven rotations of getting in. So you've kind of got to look at every failure you've had embraced as that was data. And that means I'm a step closer to the win. If you haven't had those seven failures, you know, you might as well welcome them when they come because you're potentially only lucky. You're not actually there on purpose. And when you've had those failures, you can look back and say, it's all data. It's all feedback. And what what happened? What was the trigger? What made me fall off? What got in my way? What was the obstacle? How many of you have heard of SMART goals? You know, all of us probably. Mm -hmm. You know, that is still looked at as the gold standard. I started my my career in switch majors in college in about 1984. And I think SMART goals came out, they were like early 80s, really early 80s. And it was in the finance or marketing industry. It wasn't even in fitness, but they were adopted, I think, by everybody. And I think SMART goals are dumb. I mean, if we look at statistics, (laughs) they're not working. They're not working. Right. I mean, we have the same statistic of obesity that we had 30 years ago when I got into this. It's clearly not helping us. And part of the reason is nobody says when you're setting those goals, what will the obstacles be? What will get in my way? And what will be my plan if that happens? You know, so I think in midlife, we could all say, if my parents or my in laws get sick, if we have to bring them to our house, or if I have to go and be the caregiver for them, how will I overcome that obstacle and still take care of myself? That's a legit obstacle that a lot of women are dealing with. You know, and so I think thinking literally about those things and perceiving, I can do this, it will be harder, even if that's true. But the danger or the risk we get into is if we put it off and say, right now, I can't do this. It's not a good time for me to start. And we have a rule in our customer service support box. So if you ever write in and say, I want a refund because I can't do it right now because 
this and that happen, I tell everybody, don't do it. This is Deborah's going to call her up because I need her to realize she needs this now more than ever. And I'm going to help her figure it out how she can do it. So you may end up getting your refund, but I try really hard to not let you off the hook because disease marches on when you're under all that stress. And we desperately need the exercise in the appropriate dose at those times. That is so true. I know for me, the last time I fell off was when we went on lockdown a couple of years ago. And uh, it was really hard to get back. But one of the things that got me going again was really looking at the why, not that, oh, I want to lose this many pounds or this many inches or body fat percentage, but what did it mean to me? And I, I said, I want to live in the healthiest body temple that I can live in for as long as possible. And so every morning, that's what I would think. And I equated it to, I wouldn't go out of the house without brushing my teeth. Mm -hmm. So I got to go exercise, right? I wouldn't Mm -hmm. do all these, go without these other perfunctory hygienic type of activities, health supportive. And that really helped me. I know that you like debunking some myths that we women believe over 50 and you do it so well. So I can't help but ask, (laughs) what are the lies that we're all believing about exercise over 50 that are keeping us stuck? Well, I think the biggest dogma that we all think if somebody says to you, how do I lose weight? I think the answer you've heard your whole life and potentially you might be too quick to give is eat less and exercise more. So big myth right there. And for anyone, I mean, this is true. If you've got a 20-year-old daughter or a teenager who will soon be in her 20s, it's going to be true for her too. But we probably all got away with it. In our 20s, potentially we did. In our 30s, we may have as well. In our 40s, probably a little less so, but we were so darn busy. Maybe we didn't look up and we didn't realize that was happening. And then in our 50s, it's like, bam, slap you on the face. No, you're not getting away with that. Stop in your tracks right here. And potentially you do that, you may actually gain weight. That is not uncommon. And so the biggest thing is you're you've got to avoid the causing stress to your body, right? So if you're pushing on a gas pedal and the brake in a car, what are you doing? Like you're burning your motor. And the same thing is true if you're trying to exercise more and eat less. The eating less sends the message to your body. Burn less, meaning slow down, making you tired, making you feel like you're sitting on the couch thinking, There's a lot of things that are a really good idea. I just don't feel like doing them. And if you are trying to exercise more, you're trying to rev up, but you don't have the fuel, it's actually called low energy availability. And it's more commonly talked about in athletes. But I would suggest that anybody who's intentionally exercising And intentionally exercising for the sake of losing weight or just living better and longer, we are like athletes. We're training. We ideally are not just mindlessly exercising, but we're training. And we too need fuel for that exercise. So it's finding a little bit more peace and and probably a more middle ground, not more exercise. And we go the opposite way at flipping 50 with less exercise more movement during your day, as much as you can do more movement, but less exercise and more food. And let's be clear, it has to be the right thing, right? 
Yeah, so I love that less exercise, more movement. Can you explain what that difference is between movement yes. and exercise? Yeah, so this term will come up and you'll hear it, you probably have heard it, but neat non-exercise activity time is really what we're talking about. And this was probably back in 2012 or 13, the Mayo Clinic published an article about the fact that NEAT was far more tied to risk of obesity, meaning severe overweight and over fat than exercise was. So essentially what that says is even people who exercise regularly, if the other 23 hours or 23 and a half hours of the day, they're sedentary, they still are just as at risk for obesity. But people who move more frequently, who get up from the desk, and I know we all sit, almost all of us sit for work behind a desk and a computer. I can say the same thing, even as an exercise professional. This is where I do my business, right? Because we're all I mean, Zoom has become a verb we all understand, which is crazy, right? It's like running, walking, or Zooming. Are you kidding me? The caloric burn is not good. But those kinds of things, if you're active all day, matter far more. So exercise causes stress. And this is kind of point of contention. I'm, I'm frequently asked, what are you telling me? I thought exercise decreased stress and cortisol exercise increases stress. So to answer that question, it's yes and yes. The appropriate dose for you right now of exercise could indeed decrease your cortisol level. But if you're, say all of your life stressors right now are just like coming at you like a fire hose and you try to do the exercise plan or program like verbatim, for an apparently healthy, non-stressed woman, that's probably too much. You're going to tip your bucket and that cortisol is rising. And when cortisol is rising, so is your blood sugar levels and your insulin. And your body is saying, store fat, honey. We have a storm here and we don't know how long that's going to last. So we're just going to hold on to fat. That's when exercise can actually cause fat. So often it's Let's take the exercise out of the equation temporarily. Let's just go for walks. Let's do some yoga or stretching in your version of yoga. And that can be much more helpful. We have to first remove the roadblock and that might be cortisol for you. And how would a woman know? Because I find that women falling in two categories. One, they don't want to stop exercising. They want intensity and they want it every day with the weights and the hit. And, you know, it's hard to get those people to dial back. And then there are other people who you can't even get them started. And how do you get people into the middle of the road? And for you listening, I know you're falling in these, falling in these categories. So how do you get to the middle? Yeah, great question. So, you know, honestly, here's the truth. If I had the perfect answer for that, you and I would be on a beach in Tahiti, sister. <laughs> I mean, yeah, we'd be sending a postcard to these people right now. But I think this is where appropriate five-day or 10-day or 14-day challenges get you started or where programs come in that here's a start and here's a finish because we do well with those things that are like school. I mean, we've been conditioned <laughs> to that since we were three. It has a start. It has a stop. 
and we do okay with those rules and parameters. So for both that person who needs to have the motivation, if you can just commit to the first week and say, okay, I'm going to keep it short. I'm going to keep it potentially light. I'm going to try to choose things that I enjoy. And all I, my goal is, is consistency this week. That's it. And say, don't pile things on. We are really good. Females, I think males too, but females are really good at, we start getting closer to the goal line, to the finish line, and then we move it. And we don't let ourselves actually reach it. So you have to just say no, 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 and no. Like I, all I have to do is 15 minutes today. And that's it. And then tomorrow I have to do it again. If I wanted to do a few more minutes today, I could, but I have to do 15 minutes tomorrow and the next day too. So the goal is just to do that little bit in a box. The program, I, we're going to tease later, but twice a week, that's it. Twice a week, the strength training. And that's the only thing we want people to focus on. Two times is doable. It's not three. It's not four. It's twice. And, and a lot of people are shocked. Is that enough? I'm like, maybe what you're doing is too much. I mean, is it working, right? So yes, it's, it's actually the sweet spot, but finding a small way to do it. For the women who are doing too much, I know you. I mean, I can stand up here and say, hello, my name is Deborah. I'm a former over-exerciser and you know, we can start a support group that will begin after this. But literally, I'm that person and 38 years into fitness, 10 specifically working in women with women in menopause. I know better. And I still want to default to that endurance exercise that takes me back to the eighties. And I want to read a magazine while I'm riding the treadmill and doing the Stairmaster. And, you know, I think I just really want the free time and the ability to put my child in a nursery and have that hour to myself, you know, and those minutes don't come anymore. We're just not in that moment anymore. So I don't think we really crave exercise because most of us end up feeling flat after that. We don't actually have the, the endorphins and the high after that. We tend to feel like I need a nap or I've got more cravings or, you know, I'm just more tired overall because I exercised and we're using that as an excuse not to do things in life that we used to love. So looking at and assessing where you're at, and for those of you who are like me, it's hard to cut back. When you do, if you can give yourself the restraint and in this way for you, you know, of a short time of doing a program, because here's what I like to say, very sarcastically, you can always go back to what's not working now, <gasps> right? I mean, just try it. I love it when my client says the best words and someone was so resistant, you know, and she realized that I'm paying you a lot of money to give me advice that it's going to be ridiculous if I don't listen to you. So she trusted short term and she got to a point where she was like, I can't believe that I resisted this. And I don't think I would ever want to go back. Feeling good feels good the best quote, absolute best. And that's where you need to get to that feeling of nobody needs to convince you. You don't need the motivation because you have it. You feel good. And then I think when you look in the mirror, you actually see 
the whites of your eyes a little bit whiter. Your skin and your eyes, they don't lie. They're telling the truth about the result of your habits currently. So that's all so good. And you dispelled a lot, a lot of myths in there. Not only they eat less, exercise more, but this concept of exercise is more important than non-exercise activity time. Mm -hmm. You're right. I sit on the computer all day long. Mm -hmm. And so I'm guilty of that too. And just the whole concept of, well, just getting started. And we do, we, I think we make it so big. Oh, I've got to start exercising all year. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, it's too yeah. much. I can't, I'll just not do it. And you could just sit, commit to a week. And like you say, then just, you know, 15 minutes or whatever it is a day. And you can always go back to what's not working now. I love that. <laughs> what would some other myths be that you would love to set the record straight on? Cardio is not your best friend. Cardio is not the best way to burn fat. I think we all default to that. And it still surprises me. And I, this is the reason, the sole motivation for me being on social media, because I don't know about the rest of you, but actually I think being on it, scrolling makes me anxious. It does not make me feel good. It's just uh, the longer I'm on it, the more I'm like, ah, ah, I don't even want to be here. But I learned so much about what people are thinking and still believing. And, you know, someone says to me when I'm talking about strength training, for instance, how am I going to fit that in? I've got to do the cardio so I can burn fat. How am I going to fit the weights in? And I'm like, oh my gosh, I have so much work to do here. <laughs> right. And, and I was like, okay, because these myths are still out there. And in the deadliness of the internet, as anybody with a personal computer can create content, but then it's living there forever. And it may be outdated. It may have been something they learned 15 years ago, and maybe they still believe and they published it. It could be something that was published 15 years ago and is now outdated. We know better. Regardless, then the material in our lifetime is going to be out there. So we really have to be our own detective and filter and be asking this number one question, is that program built for women just like me at this moment in time where my hormones are here in menopause and perimenopause or in postmenopause because every hormone phase a woman goes through so dramatically, like if you were pregnant, would you think you should exercise exactly like when you weren't? No, who would? But if you were working with or you had an adolescent daughter and she wanted to play volleyball or basketball, would you expect that the conditioning exercise she did would be the same as for your mom who's in postmenopause and maybe has osteoporosis? No. I mean, every hormone change we go through demands a very specific exercise program. And most of the subjects in studies are men young athletic men. And so we've really got to say, you know, what would make us think that as women who are actually really good, we have a good tendency towards fat storage right now in midlife. Why would we think what works for a young man at the peak of muscle mass will work for us? It may, it may, but we actually need to have studies proving to us that it does without 
having that correlation, it's really hard to intercept. So if you're doing a program and you didn't know to ask and nobody did, I didn't even think of this for, you know, the last two years is what it took me to realize we've all been gambling, right? We've just taken for granted that the programs came out and Tabata and high intensity intervals came out that they were getting great results and burning more fat. But you have to say, for who? For who were they burning more fat? And these were, you know, Tabata, the 20 seconds on and 10 seconds recovery, the high intensity intervals, they were performed by average age was mid 20s, athletic cyclists. They were working at over 110% of their VO2 max, which means they would do intervals and then they would go lose cookies in the wastebasket and come back and do more intervals. None of us want to exercise that hard and, and we're not going to. Wow. Yes, you've got to be discerning in the age of information, tons of information, but is it credible, yeah. reliable, recent, applicable, all the things that you're saying. And I love that example about the Tabata. No, we don't want to exercise with that intensity. I think that's why I viscerally hated Ashtanga yoga. If anyone's done Ashtanga yoga, I call it military yoga. It's kind of like that Tabata. You change, change position, change. And the instructor's up there at the front, like flip, flip. And they get mad when you don't all do it together, like in military and I intuitively was like, yeah, no, later I'm going to the yin class across the hall. <laughs> yeah, like where's the relaxation in this one? Right. Whoa. But, you know, I we was, don't always have. I was in a hot yoga class. Mm -hmm. So I took a hot yoga class. Have you ever taken a hot yoga yeah, class? Right. I was in the middle of one and my fingernail polish melted off. Oh, oh my I kid you not. I was like, this is wrong. This is so wrong. <laughs> Right. And so we have that intuition for some things, but others, I think you're right. We, we see influencers saying, oh, you need aerobic and HIIT training and I don't have time for weights. And I find that even in the gym I go to, the older women, they use these very tiny, you know, eight pound weights and 10 pound weights. And, you know, I'm not the coach there, so I'm not going to tell them. But can you talk a little bit about the intensity of weights that we need to be working out with over 50? <laughs> Yeah. You know, and, and I don't know, maybe eight or 10 pounds is what it takes, but the mm -hmm. point for all of us, wherever you are, whatever condition you have, in fact, is that you reach muscular fatigue mm -hmm. because we need strength training. And this may be, if you've ever tried strength training and felt like it didn't work for me or even created bulk for you. And we can talk a little bit more about how if you felt like you got bulkier when you did weights, and that was back in your 20s or 30s, we should talk about why that potentially was true, what else contributed. But we need to reach a muscular fatigue at the end of every single set. So a set being a group of exercises, say 15 or 12 exercises. By the time you get to the last two or three of those exercises, you want to be saying or thinking, I'm not sure I'm going to be able to get another two or three. This is really getting hard. Or I know I feel myself beginning to cheat. Maybe my shoulders are starting to sneak up close to my ears. You're done and success. That's exactly what you want. You want that temporary fatigue because by that, what I mean is you put those weights down, 
you shake that off and you go on to do another exercise. Mm -hmm. And in a minute or so, you can come back and you can do some more. It's very temporary, but you need to get to that point because that is, is a principle of fitness. So we need the overload, the adequate overload and stimulus in order to change the muscle. An exercise of all kinds is a breakdown activity. There are little micro tears happening in the muscle for any. So going to yoga, doing Pilates, there's micro tearing going on. Different levels, the more intense and the intensity from strength training, unlike when you're doing cardio, the intensity we would all guess comes from getting breathless, right? But in strength training, your heart rate also may be up during some activities more than others. But your intensity is, did you reach muscular fatigue? So think about how many times in your past have you been maybe in a group-led exercise class or watching a video and you just got to the end of a set and you put the weights down? But if we could say, wait, stop, could you do five more? Could you do 10 more? And if the answer was yes, Potentially, you weren't getting enough stimulus to really change that muscle. And increasing the muscle is the whole benefit from strength training because the more lean muscle tissue you have, the less fat you have by default, and the more metabolically active tissue. Sitting here tonight, we're burning calories. Those of us who strength train on a regular basis, and definitely those who did today, are burning more calories sitting here than had we not strength trained or weren't strength trainer exercisers. Mm -hmm. So your metabolic output for any activity you do the rest of the day will be far greater. Yes, super important. And we are running out of time. Everybody listening should know that Deborah is actually doing this podcast in front of a live audience live studio audience on Zoom. And, <laughs> and she will be uh, teaching after we are done recording the podcast, a masterclass and taking questions with these wonderful women in my program. So we're going to have a, a VIP section of Q&A with Deborah. But before we end, Deborah, the name of the podcast is The Hormone Prescription. And I know that you have a unique approach to hormone balancing that is through exercise. Can you talk about how exercise influences hormones? Because I don't think most people are familiar with that concept. Yeah, absolutely. And this has been true for as long as you've exercised. It's true for your kids, your parents. It's true for all of us. Hormones influence exercise and exercise influences hormones. So the goal at midlife is taking the puzzle and saying, because we're under so much hormone chaos or turmoil, lots of changes going on, we have to learn to adapt and, you know, be Siri, make a U-turn, make a U-turn, right? And make changes on the fly by interpreting the signs and the symptoms that we've got that namely... Exercise, all exercise is stress. I mean, your body likes to be on the couch. It's true, right? And it path of least resistance. So a body at rest stays at rest. And, you know, we all start there, right? So we've got to actually, something's got to get us going. If you've had those moments where you know moving for me feels better, you're in it and that's okay. If you're not, you're still working against that initial resistance. 
but the stress that comes from exercise is potentially good or potentially bad. We all know these life circumstances, right? So we take a wedding. I mean, depends on where you are, like mother of the bride, mother of the groom, you're the bride, you're the matron of honor, you're something, it's still some level of stress in planning that positive life event, right? But your body knows no difference between you stress, positive stress and negative stress. And so even though you may say, well, for me, when I exercise, it really decreases my stress level, but still getting your heart rate going, breathing faster, getting your circulatory system, your respiratory system going faster, that's actually still stress for your body of some level. But if you will imagine flying a kite, we've got to have stress in that string to have the kite fly and not break. So we can't have too much stress or it, the line snaps. But if we don't have enough stress, I mean, we can't get it off the ground. We can run and run and still it's not going anywhere. You want to find the sweet spot. And it's not the same as anyone else's. And it's not the same potentially for you today or this week or this month as it was three months or six months ago if you're in perimenopause because it's volatile. There may be grief in your family because of life events that have just happened. There may be a birth in your family and there may be joyous occasions that are going to change it and boost your immune system and you may feel more energy during certain times. So more exercise may actually come into play and be fine for you. So you've got to learn to read that because cortisol is probably the biggest one, but also there's insulin. And insulin is that fat storage hormone that if blood sugar goes up, and often it will if you're under stress, easier. So blood sugar goes up, insulin comes in and does its part. It's actually in to kind of bring that back down and get the blood sugar or get the sugar out of the bloodstream and put it into muscles for storage if you've got them right? That's where it goes. And otherwise it may go to the liver, which makes more fat more likely. So you want to watch out for let's gain more muscle so that if you have trouble with blood sugar, we can easily get it into storage because we have more muscle tissue where you can use it. And it's like a sponge for the sugar in your blood. And women become a little bit more resistant to insulin and more sensitive to carbohydrates. And you may have flirted with, should I do keto or go low carb? And we're not going there. I'm kind of a, I love carbs, right? They're actually pretty good for energy. So I'll just give you that little hint and where I'm at with that. But we want to make sure that we're doing everything we can. And one of the best ways you can do it is not by doing cardio, but it's actually by increasing your strength training so that you're increasing your lean muscle to support you with blood sugar level and insulin so that there's less of that likeliness to put you into fat storage. And that will support your ability to burn fat. Thank you for explaining that. I, I love that, that yeah. you're connecting the muscle mass to the insulin because it helps you sponge up that blood sugar, control your insulin. Because mm -hmm. women always think at midlife that, oh, it's my sex hormones. I've got a sex hormone problem. And I say, yeah, that's probably true, but more likely you got an insulin and cortisol problem. <laughs> 
Yeah. Well, and, and I think we can tie it together, right? So you're the doc, you say this, but because the estrogen and testosterone and mm-hmm. progesterone have come down, then we're just more, more sensitive to the changes in the cortisol and the insulin. So it's like, if this gets quiet, this gets louder. So true. And that's why I say there are two prescriptions you need for hormone balance. One, you need an actual written prescription for, and the other, you need the things you're talking about, exercise, weight training, diet, lifestyle, stress management, all the things. We've got to talk about your program before we wrap up Stronger that's getting ready to launch. I'm super excited about it. Tell everybody, because it's kind of everything that you just explained all wrapped up with a bow. It is. And I mean, the best part I think for most women is it's just twice a week, just twice a week. And for some that feels like, oh, well, the exercise is my crack. I need more than that. (laughs) Right. And for others, it's like, hmm, okay, I think I can do that. But twice a week. And here's, it's based on research. It's based on research on women in menopause and postmenopause. And there is no, right now, there's no difference in the benefit between two and three times a week of strength training. The benefits, the good that you get are pretty equal. But because Karen, you and I probably both work with women who tend to lean toward adrenal fatigue, you know, and they've got cortisol issues and they're quite often just tired all the time, doing more exercise is just going to compound that. You know, I like to call it, you've got yourself dug in a hole. We can't build a penthouse you know, without filling the hole up first. So we've really got to restore before more and just start with the minimum, which is the very most important exercise, which is going to be strength training, not cardiovascular training and doing less is doing more. So, you know, I'm a big fan of 30 to 40 minute strength training workouts. And if you're doing more than that, potentially you're doing just too much you know, it's really about doing the biggest quality and putting them in the right sequence, which Mm -hmm. we haven't talked about that, but you know, it's kind of like you ideally wouldn't want to have dessert first because that's going to spike your blood sugar. But if you've had your protein and you've had your vegetables and fiber, you might be able to have a little dessert and it's not going to have such a negative impact on your blood sugar. Well, that similar sequence importance is true in exercise. And I liken this because right now we're having a conversation with our community about some of them are wanting to go back to the gym and they're wanting to see more more demonstrations of gym machines for a variety because I think we're ready to socialize a little bit, get mm-hmm. out of our own four walls. And I said, here's the risk. And here's what I want you to remember that you don't want to go into the gym and just use, oh, that one's open. I'm going to jump on that one. <laughs> and oh. Oh, that one's open. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go over there. You, you want to have, here's my sequence. And this is the order I'm going through them because sequence is everything. We want to work the major muscle groups first. We want to do compound exercises. That means many joints are moving. It's like doing a squat, your ankles, your knees, and your hips, big joints with lots of muscles, then crossing over them engaging them, metabolically active, much more benefit. So a sequence first, we do small muscle groups last. And if you run out of time and you only can do the big major muscle groups and you don't get to those extra, that's okay. Cause you can say I was consistent. 
I boosted my metabolism today. And the message you've sent to yourself is I'm an exerciser. I exercise regularly and you'll do it again. And maybe tomorrow or the next day, you've got a little bit more time and you'll do it Mm -hmm. better. I think getting results and being successful is so important because if you don't, then you quit. (laughs) Right. Right. I've always done best when I've had a coach. That's why I'm super excited about your program. And we do need to wrap up so we can get started with our masterclass with all our participants. But do you want to give everyone the details? We're going to have a link to sign up in the show notes. I'm going to give it here. It's a bit.ly link. And you can get on the wait list because and be one of the first to know when she opens enrollment again. That will be sometime in March. So it's a bit.ly forward slash strong in 22. So it's the word strong and then in 22. And it's a 12-week program. Tell them a little bit about about it. So it is a 12-week program Mm -hmm. and it's, it's twice a week. The workouts are 30 to 40 minutes. So you have one week of or one workout released every week. You have a cheat sheet that goes with it. So that you can kind of keep your notes and we give you a recording sheet. So we have a private Facebook group and this is where you've got access to me. So we jump in, I jump in to answer questions. I've got a community coach who's in there. She's a wonderful. And so we're answering questions in real time. And then I'm jumping in there doing lives to kind of catch up and really go in depth on in kind of trending things we see happening in the group. But you're also in a community of women just like you. So it's not all ages. It's not men and women. It's just just us talking about the real stuff. And 12 weeks is on purpose. And that is partially because I know at some point during that 12 weeks, you may fall off the bandwagon. But what I also know is you won't get run over by it if you have a program to get back on. And let me tell you something very transparently. You're not buying a program. You're not buying a program that can sit on your computer for the rest of your life and make you feel good that you bought it. You're buying 12 weeks access to the program. So the videos will go away afterward on purpose. So in 38 years of being an exercise psychologist, as well as physiologist, what I've learned is when there's a stop and a start, we have a sense of urgency. And fitness happens because of the frequency of which we do the exercise. It doesn't help if you have access for a full year and you do them sometimes. That doesn't get you the same results. So I've done it on purpose. Not everybody loves that, but I want to want to make sure that there's a method to the madness. We have a more successful finish rate. People happy with results because we do it that way. Yeah. I love that. Help, you know, sometimes we have to be helped to help ourselves. And that means truth having boundaries. (laughs) So I love that. All right. So definitely check out Deborah's program. And if you're listening to this podcast in the future, she is launching it this March, but she does it frequently. So check, still check it out and go there and you can join. So it's bit.ly forward slash strong in 22, the number two, two to find out more. Thank you so much, Deborah, for the work that you do for all the women that you help, because like we started off um, at the beginning of the episode saying there's no more powerful health influencer than a midlife 
woman. That's Deborah Atkinson who said that. I love it. And thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. And thank you, listener, for spending your valuable time tuned in to learn about your health, because I know that you're going to take this information and use it somehow to transform your life and the life of everyone in your life. And that's why I love working with women at Midlife. Till next week, peace, love, and hormones, y'all. Thank you so much for listening. I know that incredible vitality occurs for women over 40 when we learn to speak hormone and balance these vital regulators to create the health and the life that we deserve. If you're enjoying this podcast, I'd love it if you'd give me a review and subscribe. It really does help this podcast out so much. You can visit thehormoneprescription.com where we have some free gifts for you. And you can sign up to have a hormone evaluation with me on the podcast to gain clarity into your personal situation. Until next time, remember, take small steps each day to balance your hormones and watch the wonderful changes in your health that begin to unfold for you. Talk to you soon.